and welcome to another edition of Logical, the legal podcast from the Dubai-based law firm HPL Yamala and Pleska. Logical is the Gulf region's first and only regular legal podcast. I'm Jim Elliott, socially distanced on the 18th floor at Dubai's Jumeirah Lakes Towers District at the firm's offices with the managing partner Ludmilla Yamala. But always good to see you. Great to see you too, Tim. Thank you for welcoming me back. Now, in this edition of Logical, we're going to attempt to form a guide for entrepreneurs in the UAE. We're going to be talking about starting and running a business in the Emirates, the potential legal issues you might face or not during the process, and what to do if a business succeeds, but also if a business uh, is on the edge of failure as well. Plus, in this edition, we're very pleased to welcome a very special guest to the programme. Shadi Joahan is, I think, business consultant I'm going to describe you as, Shadi. Is that yeah, you? correct, Tim. Yeah, does that work for you? Business consultant would be the right uh, title, uh, helping people basically set up businesses and assess risk management. All right, well, the right man for this podcast. Now, you've been in the Emirates for quite some time, 27 years. Let's just get a feel for who Shadi is, what Shadi's done. Uh, t- talk us through your your experience in the Emirates, first of all. 27 years, that really is getting my age away. <laughs> uh, look, started in uh, 95 in the aviation industry when I was, booming uh, in the UAE, uh, spent about 14 years in that industry and then shifted into uh, consultancy. So it was an interesting shift from seeing businesses around the world and uh, wanted to bring something new to the UAE. So I think the first venture was setting up the uh, first uh, retail F&B outlet and uh, it was the first of its kind, 24-7 open, uh, home delivery around the clock. And, you know, thinking back 2004 or 2003 when that was initiated, it's it's quite ahead of its time. So that's where initially it started and then uh, shifted more into consulting uh, for investors and uh, new startup entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who want to get into the business. Along the way, uh, launched... Uh, uh, products in Australia for distribution around Oceania and uh, back in the UAE uh, maintained consulting for mostly F&B, uh, launched uh, a mobile app for the airline industry as well, uh, which uh, was finalist uh, in the business aviation in the UAE, again uh, trying to bring in the community of the aviation industry. So a lot of experience in uh, different uh, business space. So let me, if I can, may just jump in here. So the reason we've invited Shadi is because I have known Shadi for as long as I've been in the UAE. And in fact, I was privy to him setting up perhaps his first business, the F&B Retail that he mentioned. Uh, not only was I privy to it from perhaps a, a friend's perspective, but also we were neighbors living in the same community. And all of that was happening at the same time when I was setting up my own business. So... Uh, Shadi and I would spend hours um, sharing intel and uh, war stories about what it was like and what uh, went into uh, setting up a business from doing a website to designing marketing brochures uh, to uh, figuring out who who your client base is uh, to renting uh, an office space um, uh, to uh, the underlying agreements with either partners or suppliers or landlords and so on and so forth. Uh, so I personally have a very uh, soft spot for Shadi and, and for those oh, days uh, because it was then that, that I, there's this concept of, of my practice, which um, 
I proudly still have today, uh, came to be, and, and Shadi was my sidekick, uh, although in a very different industry. But I do remember very much what I was going through in the late, late, late hours of sitting there and operating a shoestring, trying to figure out how do you set up a, a website and who is going to file uh, draft the profiles for your team and who is going to come up with your mission statement and uh, your whole kind of touch and feel of who you want to be. Uh, so we, uh, we, uh, I guess we're each other's sidekicks at the time. And, um, I saw Shadi build a very successful business. And, and I do want him to share more about um, that particular concept of what he, um, managed so successfully to create at the time, which was truly one of a kind and, and perhaps first one in the UAE of the 24-7 experience of, of, uh, being your community F&B that was very, uh, readily available and, um, and always offered just top of the line, not just product, but services. And I just always remember Shadi in particular because anytime I would go to his, um, outlet, I didn't want to buy very much. It would just always be one or two things. But I would, whenever he was in the shop, I would come back with about a hundred items <laughs> because he was just the perfect sales guy who would just talk about each one of the products that he would um, display with such passion and interest and knowledge. And that in any industry, in any country is, uh, is the recipe for success for businesses. It's just when you truly put in your heart and soul, uh, in, into your business. And that's exactly what he did, not just at a high level, but into every product, into every, every shelf, into every, everything that he offered in terms of services and product at every level and at all times. And so I obviously fell prey <laughs> to that too. And every time I would go, I would spend thousands of dirhams <laughs> buying his things because uh, not only were they superb quality products, but they I knew so much about them. And they were really one of a kind at the time. So that's really why I personally always enjoyed uh, Shadi's story, that first uh, business story, because I was part of it, because I, I benefited from it. And, and I saw him go through the process from A to Z. And I'm sure he uh, learned a lot of valuable lessons uh, from that experience, as all of us do on a daily basis. And so I thought it would be wonderful to have his insight about what it's like to set up a business, what it's like to um, to move on to new businesses and uh, and share some war stories and real life examples and case studies of what entrepreneurs and business owners in the UAE should be mindful of. Would you painting a picture here of essentially there's history, that much I can uh, see. And obviously you shared experiences together as you were setting up businesses at the same time. Let's just drill down, Shadi, into that business, that retail concept. Just, if you would, just talk me through so I get a real uh, picture of exactly what it was you did with such passion. I think Ludmilla covered very much uh, in details the operational mm. part of the business and definitely uh, the passion plays a very important uh, role in creating a successful business. But what's important for new entrepreneurs is to also understand the back end and back office of what takes place to actually initiate a business of that kind and follow through. So that's everything from uh, fit out to design to concept to brand identity uh, and creating a, 
being able to deliver your vision into a physical state where people can actually come and visit. Things have changed, no doubt. I mean, opportunity was a major part of the recipe then, uh, and that was based on demand and based on being niche and based on being uh, new and challenging, being able to take a risk and try to deliver something for a particular target market. But I think what's really important uh, for people to, uh, for entrepreneurs or business people trying to set up a new business is the hurdles along the way pre-opening, during uh, the opening phase, and then you have to also be prepared for the hurdles along the way, whether it's with your business partner, uh, how you drafted your legal uh, agreement, and employees, employees, and what kind of exit strategy you do have. And along the way, a lot of people don't realize it takes a lot to employ the right person. It takes a lot to create a brand identity. So passion is something that we all have, but turning passion into reality is totally a different story. I'm not trying to paint a picture of a nightmare here, but people have to be prepared that there will be challenges along the way. It's not as easy as as it's planned on a pen and paper or on a board saying, oh, that's what we're going to do. Step one, we're going to get a trade license. Step two, we're going to find uh, the right location and so forth. I think what's also challenging a lot of people do not look into is uh, the relationship is not only with your partners or your employees, but also with your developer where you are actually leasing. If you are going into a retail kind of space, you might be looking going into online space, but there you have to also depend on third parties who are going to do the pick and pack or all the way through to the last mile. So always you are uh, depending on a third party that could throw the spanner in the works. So it's very important that you research uh, your suppliers, your vendors, your developer, and always be prepared for something to go wrong. I'm not saying it will go wrong, but if you are prepared and you do have the foundation, it will be a smoother kind of exit strategy than finding yourself in deep water. If I may just add to that, because uh, what's important to highlight off of what Shadi just said is that it's very true for business setting up here, there isn't a manual uh, that gives you the A to Z. This is what you do in setting up a business from the license uh, uh, to the lease to the employees to uh, the uh, end of service payments uh, to your suppliers not paying you uh, to the exit strategy. There is not that kind of a roadmap or a checklist of what you need to do for businesses uh, in the UE in particular. Uh, part of it is just because it's such a new country. Part of it's because it's developing so rapidly. But also part of it, it's, it's I think, in the way culturally, because the UAE, at least when I came here, it was the success story. And a lot of people who came here, they come with the expectation of the success story. And they want the world to see nothing else but the success. So the reality is such that often we don't really hear about the challenges and the hurdles that Shadi mentioned. People only portray a rosy picture. Everything's mm. great. They've got the successful business and I'm doing so well. So most of the time, and I've seen it in my business, I've seen it from uh, from my friends' businesses and from our clients' businesses, we don't really know, we don't really hear about uh, what's really going on behind the scenes. And that's why for anyone who is starting into business, and that was also the case for me, all I heard was success stories. 
And when I was setting up, I struggled so much. And still, to this day, things are are challenging and the challenges are ever-evolving. But uh, back then, I just felt like, am I the only one who is struggling? Because everybody else is talking about how well they're doing. And so I think that in of itself provides a bit of um, uh, misinformation, if you will, to new businesses and entrepreneurs because they expect to step in, set up, and succeed. And that's just not the reality. And it, the, the thing is, it's a real double-edged sword, isn't it? Because you, there are two sides to that. You can be Mr. Superconfident, Mrs. Superconfident, Miss Superconfident, whoever, and you will succeed, or you could fool yourself because you just don't have quite what it takes. It always strikes me, and I, I don't know if uh, what you're going to say to this, Shadi, but you have to, if you're going to start a business and you're going to aim to succeed... It has to come from somewhere. You have to have that. There's something in you that has what it takes to make this work. How how important is that? 100% uh, it's an accurate statement. Not only do you have to be prepared, you have to be willing to sacrifice. Mm. And I think acceptance of the challenges along the way will play its role. If you are willing to accept and you are prepared for delays along the way you will succeed and i'm not talking just about you know getting the uh, uh, outlet open or getting your business going online or you're actually starting trading but it's actually in preparation along the way you have to uh, look anytime someone comes along and says you know i would like to set up a business and i want to have it open in six months that's impossible these days you have to be prepared if you are uh, targeting for six months prepare for another six on top mm. The delays along the way are outside your control. So whether it's getting an NOC from the developer, whether it's change of plan to your design, whether change of fit our company, or it could be something as simple uh, that DIY you can't upgrade your uh, power availability, and that could just hold you up to six months to a year. There are many, many, many businesses in the UAE that basically uh, – are already on the back foot before they have even opened due to delay. Yeah, and very much so. And that to that end, and this is where us here sitting in the legal industry, we so often wish that a lot of these entrepreneurs or businesses came to us uh, earlier. And that is exactly the time when they were setting up the business just to help uh, help guide them through the due diligence that they should be, that every business should be doing, uh, such as, as you, as Shadi rightfully pointed out, because to set up a business in the UAE, you need a license. Now, depending on where you're set up, you may need to have a local partner or perhaps with a new law that you may or may not need a local partner anymore. And if you do have a local partner, what does that mean? Uh, what percentage of the business he, she will, uh, will own? And will they actually be a silent partner? Will they be an operating partner? and all the underlying documentation that would go into that. Then who will be the manager on the license? That too is a key component because a lot of people are very happy and eager to be, or at least in the past, they're <laughs> eager to be mentioned on the license because that gave them some sort of perceived power or authority. But with power and authority also comes liability and responsibility. Uh, and so 
Uh, and then about the banking account, bank account, well, you can open up a company, but you may not be able to open a bank account. And what can you do as a business without a bank account? Then for a business, you need to rent a, uh, an office. Where are you renting an office? Who your landlord is going to be? Have you had all those T's and C's crossed out and checked before you actually made other commitments? Then you go into the employees, and then you have to the insurance and the visas, and then that's before you even started to operate. And so I so uh, often wish that businesses came to us at that point and not when they already face a problem. But as is the case with so many, um, I guess, perception of lawyers in in the UAE in particular, uh, I often hear is, well, well, thankfully I haven't needed a lawyer. That's not necessarily the the right perspective because so many businesses would actually benefit from seeing a lawyer that one time that's not about retaining a lawyer for a heavy price but just perhaps consulting with the lawyer early on to help them kind of guide and give a general framework of what's to come Uh, and it would be so much more beneficial for them than come to us for damage control that's a really interesting point because if you're a young entrepreneur a first-time entrepreneur you can't know everything you can't be expected to understand everything. So why not sit with a lawyer just to, with a checklist to tick off a few things and maybe learn something? I mean, that must be an important step, Shelley. I totally agree. And I wanted to add to that. I think uh, new entrepreneurs, and I don't want to use the, the word just young entrepreneurs. There are people starting their business at sure. the age of 40, 50, and 60. And uh, the UAE, with its new regulation, is actually opening up the market for anyone who's looking to relocate and start a business to make it even more possible than 5, 10 years ago, hopefully with the new 100% ownership as things are more clarified. But what I wanted to say, it doesn't take much to get a lawyer on board to overlook your legal agreements and partnership and shareholding. There are people out there who don't, do not know the meaning of quorum, of a veto in a shareholding meeting. They are not aware of uh, your rights. If it's 20%, what rights you have? And if you have 26%, what different changes it gives you? Uh, no one understands what a proxy is. People tend to learn about this only when they are faced with that hurdle. Mm. All of a sudden, Google is on. They're calling different lawyers, trying to define what that means, trying to define what that means. So uh, just having someone on board uh, to overlook your legal foundation that you have in place could save you hundreds of thousands, could save you your business, could save you even your presence uh, in a country where you are. But it's also important to, if you are not really... uh, understanding of the business you're getting into you're just basing on passion do get a consultant and i'm not selling my business here but get someone who has been in that journey before you need to understand that a fit out is not simply based on you meeting out with a fit out company they give you the figures and they start you need to understand uh to a level the complication of mep uh, what you are and not allowed to do uh, do you understand that you can't add a mezzanine floor? Uh, and if you are going to add that simple mezzanine floor, the complication it entails from uh, municipality, from uh, the building department, from the landlord, and sometimes the landlord subjected to uh, excess uh, uh, payments because you're adding more to the uh, uh, 
footage or volume of the building and that's passed on to you. So you go in with a budget of, let's say, three, four million and I'm finding businesses exceed that by at least 25 to 30% and that's if they do open up on time. That might be slightly high, but the amount of variation that people encounter along the way in their fit-out, for example, is unbelievable. And that's why you need a legal firm to look into that and to say, okay, if the fit-out company is delayed X, Y, Z days beyond the due date, they have to be held liable. They have to be a 10% discount or per day, I will charge them X amount. No one thinks of that. You know, and to that end, you're, you're very, very correct about that. And we've had cases, for example, where a, a, a client was building a villa. And so they've signed on to all sorts of agreements with their suppliers and such. And as we all have experienced here, the, the, the schedules here are very fluid. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really expect them to be so fluid, but in reality, they become very fluid. And so all of a sudden, if you haven't tied your suppliers into very specific dates and schedules and deadlines, you might be liable, for example, in that particular case, to a developer who or the master developer of the community that has very different deadlines for you in terms of when you're supposed to complete your uh, your construction and um, uh, construction of the house, construction of landscaping. They're very tight deadlines. And if you fail those, they're very hefty penalties. And so in most cases, what we've seen is that often there is... Um, there's complete separation between the developer and you, the, let's say the investor who is building this villa, and then you, the investor, and your own agreements with your various suppliers and subcontractors. And so there isn't this cohesive and coherent cross-link of all the potential third parties, suppliers, NOCs, and fees. And so before you know it, because you haven't really had your supplier commit to a very specific deadline uh, that is not only actionable, but also perhaps punitive in the, event, in the event they miss it, then all of a sudden you become liable to your developer because you have started construction, but you have not completed it with a certain, certain period of time. And the penalties can be quite hefty. And it's not just the developer, by the way, it's also the municipalities. So sure. the government, the semi-government authorities as well, they require certain deadlines. And so you're absolutely right. We've seen a number of cases like that where the suppliers are kind of working on their own schedule, a very fluid schedule, and yet the uh, the client is uh, being held to a very different schedule to his or her third parties, which ultimately result in some very heavy liabilities. So here's where we are. Experience counts. That's very clear. A hundred percent. I mean, experience is a must. It's a very important uh, part of the fabric uh, to actually launch a business. I don't want to talk about the success of the business because that's post opening a business. People don't realize the challenges are in the actual setup initially. If that is smooth, it will allow you to operate correctly because you met your budget and you're able to grow with that. I wanted to add uh, on to Ludmilla regarding uh, the accountability if you are not prepared and you didn't seek that legal uh, overview initially, at the end of the day, you are accountable to the developer. You are accountable to your suppliers. You are accountable to uh, the staff that you hired closer to the time when you thought you were opening. Uh, you're probably accountable to uh, so many payables because you've predicted that you're going to open at that time and moving forward. So, the majority of the weight of accountability you will have to face. But if you were prepared initially, 
with the correct legal documents and support and the proper uh, consulting in the initial stages, you have everything already uh, in a protected kind of mode because you do know if one month delay from the fit-out company, X amount of money is going to be deducted and that's going to cover my losses and my budget. And maybe that's going to cover payments to the developer as well. Again, it all depends on how that agreement is uh, uh, basically filed or agreed upon between you and the fit-out company. A lot of people don't take security checks from the fit-out companies, which they actually have the right to, to protect themselves. And it could be 25% of the total of, uh, you know, value of the fit-out. Also, I wanted to add to that, uh, developers, uh, especially uh, large developers, uh, tend to have a deadline, as Ludmilla said, and you are basically fine on daily basis if your outlet is not open or if your villa is not ready. And uh, there's no ifs or buts about it because you are affecting the overall uh could be an aesthetic look of the company or a, a, of the development or return. Uh, a very important part is, especially now post-COVID, uh, I recommend for everyone to negotiate with your developer. Uh, negotiate additional points that usually are not in a standard lease agreement. I mean, that's a really important point, isn't it? There's no... The, the buck stops with you and you have to get the best possible deal for you and your business and your employees and for the continuation uh, of the business. Um, let me just move away from this for a moment because I want to uh, ask you, Shadi, about the pain uh, and the challenges. You've been here 27 years. I don't want to keep reminding you about that, but it is true. <laughs> um, but you've been through, um, you know, some painful lessons, I guess, in business and challenges in business. Without giving too much away, talk me through what you got through and how you got through it. Well, don't worry about reminding me of 27. I came here when I was three years old, so <laughs> I'm 30. So that, that takes the pain away. So pain, every entrepreneur should be prepared for taste of pain along the way. If it's not your developer, it's your staff, it's your supplier, it's your concept need changing to meet the right demographic, etc. Personally speaking, uh, I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about accountability because I was not as prepared as I should have been. I allowed passion, I allowed trust, and I allowed... Uh, uh, the normal status quo of everything going well to blind me. So what I have learned from this is to, even though your business partner and your staff are wonderful and your revenue is great and your identity at that time, your brand identity is serving you well, you have to be prepared to evolve. You have to be prepared to question things. You have to be prepared to say, am I moving with the times? Uh, is my legal agreement with my business partner the right way as where we stand today? You know, do I have an exit strategy or does it seem like they have an exit strategy to get me out? Uh, how, where's my purpose? So these, this is, the, the pain could be massive because sometimes you would have to just give in because if you want to take on a challenge and it could be so costly and it's not, not it could not just be costly from a, uh, monetary uh, approach it could be health 
It could affect your health. It could affect your family. It could affect how you function in other businesses if you have other businesses from reputation, etc. So my number one recommendation to any of my clients is acceptance of pain along the way and preparation to reduce that pain. Maybe this podcast sound like we're talking a lot about challenges, but that's the reality. If we uh, accept that and take it on, I can assure anyone listening to this podcast, once you do launch your business, you are going to be stronger because you have everything in place. You have your legal agreement in place. You're not concerned if something goes wrong. You are able to go to sleep knowing, look, I got this uh, in place. I've got that in place. If this goes wrong, there's a plan B. Ludmilla, that's a really, really good point. The the thing that, that Shadi's really trying to get to there is, look, if there's an issue, you've got to face it. Because once you face the issue, once the issue is out there, it's there. It's not hidden anymore. And you can get on with things. Well, absolutely. It's sort of like the, the dealing with the elephant in the room. Sure. And uh, I will tell you, I've been in business now. I'm running my own business for the last 13 years. And some may think, and I hear these comments, by the way, quite regularly, oh, you've been in business for so long. You must be doing so well. You must uh, must have a very leisurely lifestyle because you have been doing business for so long and you've perceivably doing so well. That could not be farther from the truth because as Shadi rightfully pointed out, with every success, uh, and every success is temporary. And it's, uh, and especially this day and age where things move so rapidly that, uh, that temporary success is ever, you know, ever more uh, short lived. And so you always need to stay ahead of the game. You always need to keep just one eye behind you looking at the competition behind you and the other eye looking forward. And so don't revel too much in your success because the competition is only just a quarter of a, of a step behind you. And so the minute you relax, the minute you just kind of let it get into your head, uh, you the next minute uh, you'll be behind. And that's just the, that's just the reality of life. And, and I think Keeping that perspective in mind is very important because it's very sobering, it's very healthy, but it's also very, very real. And um, how many businesses we have seen, and Tushari's uh, earlier point about just you know, don't don't get your success get you blinded because for example one time we, because of this sort of blindness to your success we overlook the most basic things and so uh, talking about agreements uh, agreements with your partner is one thing but something as simple as a lease agreement for your office so for example we had a client at the dental clinic the dental clinic that had been in existence for a long time had been hugely successful successful because it was in the same building for many years um, had great reputation, great client base, and uh, was overall doing wonderful. So at some point in time, the clinic decided to invest $5 million, I think, dollars. It was pretty significant in terms of just fit out uh, and um, and just kind of just the, the facelift of, of the business in itself. Only to, and they have done that, uh, and then only a year later to receive a letter from the landlord saying that the building was being demolished. So what do you do? So obviously the clinic, uh, the business, oh, it's very easy. We've just invested all this money. So the, uh, obviously the business of the landlord has to pay us for for this. However, the lease agreement, the underlying lease agreement for that clinic was for one year. 
And it's just, it just happened to be so that for the last 15 years, since the time the business was um, incorporated, they just had this one-year lease agreement that continued to renew from year to year, from year to year. So it's that one of the simple documents that had been in existence for 15 years of the business existence and had never really sort of failed them. But uh, it's still that one-year contract was still in effect. So when the building had to be demolished, all that, uh, in that particular uh, case, the business could uh, claim is rent for one year, and that's it. So all that investment for the kind of the uplift of, of the business and uh, and refurbishing the office was lost. It serves, it serves to illustrate the point really well that when you're running a business, it's very easy to, smith, to, to miss the smallest of details that actually aren't the smallest of details. That's that's really the point. But it's the mindset, Tim. I, I find that excitement mm. among you young entrepreneurs, uh, you know, I have a great idea, uh, whether it's a digital startup, whether it's a cafe, whether whatever it might be, the excitement blinds them. Don't worry, things are going to be okay. You know, this is a great idea. We're going to do so well. And I think, like we said, passion is great. But reality needs to come into perspective. Uh, Ludmilla did mention about everyone says, oh, you must be doing so well. No one's asked, are you surviving? Nobody uses the word survival in the business industry. And I think what makes a successful business is your ability to adapt to survive the tough times, the competition. And I think reputation uh, is an integral part of any successful business. Uh, I think if you maintain a good reputation and you are surviving during the uh, rough times, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a recession, whatever it might be, that shows your true colors to the client base, etc. But I also want to remind people that it's very important that, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, why break something that's uh, working well? Well, you need to change and you need to evolve because someone else will come along and do that in a better way, maybe at a more competitive price, maybe at a faster pace, maybe uh, with less drama and more swiftly and efficiently. So you always have to, not only as Ludmilla said, looking back at your competition, but you also have to look at new entry in the market. Who are the new uh, entrants? What are they offering that I'm no longer offering. Uh, evolution is very important in business and I highly recommend for people when they do have a brand identity or an idea to set a plan and say, in two years, I'm going to see if my brand is doing well. I'm going to do a survey with my clients. Where am I falling short? A lot of people don't do that, interact with their clients and ask what am I doing wrong or what can I improve on? And that's very important. That's a really good point, the, the asking that, that question. And for, for a lot of people, I guess, there's an element of pride in there. It may, it's, it's a hard thing for some people. Ego. There's, there's <laughs> ego wrapped up in that. Um, times are tough at the moment, Shady. We all know, uh, you know the COVID effect has had an enormous impact internationally. It's meant that we've had to see evolution in some businesses. We're seeing lots of businesses really struggling at the moment. Um, and that's one of what I talk to you next about. What, what do you do when your business isn't working out? When you you, you, are, you are running up against that metaphorical brick wall, what, what, how do you handle that? Look, currently, a lot of people are surviving on hope. Hope that 2021, once that calendar clicks over, everything is going to be back to normal. 
from my perspective and as personally speaking uh, that's unrealistic uh, businesses have to change even if the vaccine is available tomorrow and uh, travel opens up to normal I think what the pandemic has actually exposed is the ability to operate with less manpower more reliance on technology more reliance on third party that could fulfill your needs without needing an actual retail store. I think the retail industry as a whole, the physical retail industry, whether in shopping centers, etc., need to reinvent itself. Uh, and I'm talking about big developers uh, here in the UAE or in the region uh, for that matter. They need to find a way to attract tenants rather than implement this uh, military style, you want to be in my mall, this is what you have to do, this is what time you're open. I know they're trying to create a world-class quality shopping experience, but it's time to evolve. Yeah, as part of that evolution, because we represent a number of clients who are also in the retail industry, there have been a lot of retail practices that have been in existence in other countries, for example, such as the U.S., where the retailers or the uh, the mall owners uh, work kind of in partnership, if you will, with their tenants. And that is instead of commanding a very high uh, price uh, and capital investment at the, uh, at the outset of a business, they will share in the risks, and but they also share in the uh, the benefits. And that is as the business grows, the, so the the rental commission is paid from the business itself as a percentage of the business. And so these are some of the ideas that we have recommended to a lot of our clients who are uh, the retailers who have been suffering, in particular because of COVID, for example, is just to take that to the mall owners and, and propose that model to them instead of, here, let me pay you a million dirhams for my lease, for my shop for the next year. Uh, please, why don't we share in the percentage of my revenues or percentage of my profit? profits? Uh, there are different ways of, of offering this. But that particular mindset has not quite yet uh, been introduced into this market, hasn't quite been embraced, and for obvious reasons, because this place has grown so fast, uh, so quick, uh, and, and so well. And it has been a very desirable place for a lot of businesses to set up and for retailers to have a base. And so there was a supply and demand. Uh, back then, there was a lot of demand. And so the, the, the retailers could ultimately command those kind of prices. But the reality has shifted. And I think we have yet to see the um, the new reality. We're still in the process. And so this kind of mindset, the paradigm shift, if you will, I think is definitely very much needed. And it would benefit everyone because instead of having your empty shops in your malls, and, and perhaps suffocating businesses in the process, you're giving them a lifeline. And so now you have an operating, a functional store running. Uh, you are, so for your reputation wise and image wise, that's, it's good for you. And you're giving a chance to a small business to perhaps have another take, um, at, at success. And all in all, looking, looking ahead, it's a much more, collaborative and a long-term mindset that would benefit the market much better than than the current perhaps uh, somewhat inflexible stance. It could well be that that is the lesson of COVID uh, in many ways, that kind of collaborative approach. I mean, we've talked about this at length with uh, Dubai Courts, for example, who shifted to an online model relatively seamlessly. And I think you, you've expressed surprise about how well it's worked 
um, over the last few months. And that's really kind of crystallized now as to it, it is the future of working with the courts. And you can work remotely. You can call witnesses remotely. That extends, I think, down the chain uh, here in Dubai. Shadi, I want to move back to you for a second. Um Entrepreneurs, we're kind of speaking to here specifically, I think, but um, we've talked about the pain, we've talked about challenges, we've talked about um, business partners to an extent, we've talked about your businesses, the things you've faced. Is there one, two, three lessons that really stand out for you that you still draw from when you think, I'm going to start a new business now. What's in your mind? Research. Research right. is a must. Research about, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, just recently as well, met a client and uh, uh, they didn't want to share the name of the brand because they thought it was so special and one of a kind. And after basically coming on board, I said, look, what is the name of the brand? And they said, you know, X, Y, Z. And I said, two seconds, no big deal, just on Google. And it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And they thought, unbelievable, this is based on something personal. How could it be? So you might have an idea in your mind, but I can assure you someone out there have maybe has thought of it before you. So it's very important to do your research. Not only that, when you do come up with an idea, you have to, if it's going to be a mobile app, who is going to provide you the technology? Is the technology continuously changing? Uh, do you have your team that is uh, doing your technology app based in uh, uh, India, based in uh, wherever it might be around the world? What guarantee do you have they're going to complete that project? What happens if they do drop out halfway through that project in coding and to go to someone else? Again, uh, you could see I'm pushing a lot about uh, concern and hurdles because I like to have them all out in the open prior to being surprised with them. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm prepared. So this way I can ensure that I'm going to use a company to uh, code my app and I have a second company there. Or the method of payment, I will put it in stages when to release payment accordingly to the uh, you know app completion. People who are going into technology, you really need to do your homework and that it's not that easy. Many companies will create an app for you and disappear. And the moment there's an upgrade, uh, iOS or from Apple or uh, Android, you're left out. Your, your app no longer is functional because you need someone always on board maintaining that technology at the fast pace. Same goes with a business. You might want to import a particular product. And you don't realize that someone is importing it from somewhere else at a much cheaper price. And you find that you're already committed to an exclusive agreement and you're stuck with it. And no one is picking up your product. So research, feasibility study. A lot of people say, why do you want to, why do I want to get uh, a lawyer? Waste 10 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand, whatever it might be. Why do I want to get a consultant to sit through and tell me about my vision? You know what I mean? It's mm. my vision. It's my idea. Well, it's because it gives you a different perspective. It gives, it raises the red flags where they should be raised. And it tells you maybe you should, you know, uh, go ahead with it or maybe not. I prefer to have someone tell me, uh, you know, Shadi, this concept has been done in four places and it didn't succeed. Uh, this way it will allow me to not give up, but maybe evaluate my idea and see what different uh, approach I'm going to bring to the table. So research is definitely number one. Trust, 
trust yourself only and trust the proper legal well, agreements <laughs> because unfortunately in businesses as a business succeed and grows greed is a human natural instinct i think not with many people but in business i'm talking the business environment and it tend to play a major role on who operates what uh, decisions who's the founders and so forth and it could really affect you mentally physically and eventually the business will suffer so it's very vital and important that uh, you have the legal foundation in place and that's for both parties that's not just saying to protect you but also to protect your investor it's also to protect your business partner uh, god forbid something might happen to you who takes over the business who takes over your shares what do you have in place are these uh, adversities along the way prepared for is there a will uh, do you understand the legalities of a will under the UAE law or Sharia law or if you're an expat or so forth? So all these questions come up only when things go wrong. No one wants to talk about them. So research, trust, legalities and founding a business and a budget. Do not start a business if you don't have the budget. Saying a, budget, a business is going to cost uh, $10 and you only ha have a dollar and hoping that when you open that you're going to generate revenue. No, no. That $10 should go into an escrow account. I'm, I'm saying this for people who are in partnership where that's locked in. Uh, so whether you're facing a personal issue along the way or financial issue, that money is there to complete the business and launch it. There's nothing worse than halfway through a fit out in a business that your investor pulls out and especially if you are as Ludmilla said the operation manager because you are so excited to be on the trade license as the operation manager everything's going to fall on you the investor is just a shareholder you're the one signing the check you are the account manager you are the operational manager sort it out when the developer goes to the rental dispute uh, committee with your check signed by Ludmilla, they're going to call Ludmilla. They're not calling the investor. You signed for this check, Ludmilla, sort it out. So I highly recommend for people to take an hour or two, see a lawyer who specializes in business setup, see a consultant, uh, see an owner of a previous business that you are entering. And I'm not trying to push you, but unfortunately you can't get someone to replace a lawyer because they understand the law, they understand the draft, they understand what's missing. Also, scrutinize your lease. Always take into place that I'm entering in this development, this development might be shut down for unknown reason. God forbid there's a fire that takes place. Am I insured? Is my insurance going to cover me for force majeure and things outside the developer's uh, right? Who's taking all these things I hear on daily basis, I see it. And people tell you, sorry, ah, oh, you're not going to believe what happened. There was a fire or there's a new road and we had to close the front of the shop. And this road is from the RTA and it's going to take about a year to complete. Well, it's not the developer's fault. You might try to negotiate with the developer to get a discount, but at the end of the day, your business is going to suffer. What do you have in place to protect you?
You know, and that's interesting. So we had, a, it reminds me of another example, a, a client we had who was in a restaurant business and they had a, a fairly successful restaurant, but a lot of what we, a, a lot of that business relied on the community around it and residential community around it and therefore pedestrians kind of walking in and, uh, or, uh, sort of easy access into the restaurant. Now, the, um, as part of the, particular neighborhood, there was a new road that was being built, in particular a freeway. And so long story short, as part of this new master plan or new construction plans, uh, there was the access, this direct access to this restaurant was no more. And not only that, there was now a freeway or some kind of a high, uh, high speed road. So that pedestrian traffic that the restaurant had previously relied on uh, was no longer available. And, um, even the access, even the drive-in access to the restaurant, again, because of all this construction, was no longer available. Now, for obvious reasons, the client, the business came, and they were trying to seek advice as to what they could do. Sadly, there was nothing they could do because that particular eventuality, as Shadi rightfully pointed out, was not written into the contract. And these eventualities happen in every business all the time. Now we cannot be the the, the oracles and and think of every potent, every possible eventuality, but there are ways uh, that you could address just perhaps most common eventualities and just a catch-all uh, type of a clause where you address in the event something does happen that fundamentally impedes the business or interrupts the flow of the business that there's some sort of redress. And that, unfortunately, is often, in most cases, in particular here, is not thought through. And as a result, in that case, the business had to close and, and lose all of its capital investment that they put in, in, in setting up a restaurant, which is not an insignificant cost. And so um, one of the... Um, and that's one of the other comments Shadi made earlier and I wanted to address is these standard contracts. And this is how a lot of the time these businesses end up with these so-called standard contracts where they will not address these kinds of eventualities because whoever it is that they're entering their contract is selling them, this is a standard contract. You cannot change it. So you assign it or leave it. Well, a contract, by definition, is a voluntary instrument. You enter it voluntarily. And therefore, apart from very, very few standard, truly standard contracts, you always have the ability to change. And the other side always has the ability to change if it wants to. So whenever you are being faced with that sort of a dilemma where you're being told, oh, this is a standard contract, Everybody else has signed it. Nobody else has had any problems. Don't fall for it because there's no such thing. Every contract can be amended. And in most cases, and hopefully with this podcast under your belt, you now understand that in most cases it should be amended because there are so many eventualities. There's so many practical experiences and case studies and war stories that businesses and, and the professionals like me and Shadi have gone through and experienced personally and through our clients uh, that exist out there. So if you only knew, you should factor them in into your underlying agreements, into underlying uh, contracts, and underlying just understanding. And so, don't accept this. Uh, this is standard. Sign it, uh, and don't worry about it. Nobody else has raised this issue, which unfortunately we hear we hear this comment here all too often. Yeah, don't don't be pressured. Do not enter it. This is your freedom. Your freedom is prior to signing on that dotted line. The moment you sign on that dotted line and then you're, you're aware of that amendment that is required, it's very hard to change it. So take your time. Many clients I do see, they don't even read the uh, terms and conditions of 
basically a lease agreement. Everything down to even disposing of the rubbish or what time and how it should be done. Uh, and uh, staff gathering outside, maybe affecting the aesthetic of the building. All these little things, and you get bombarded by emails by the developer to improve. And then you think, hold on, there's no autonomy here. You know, I'm living under a controllable uh, business. And I think, again, uh, agreements, contracts are flexible before you sign on them. You can always say no. If you are already facing a problem prior to entering an agreement, it means you are going to face a lot of difficulties later on. If your developer is not willing to meet you halfway or your partner meets you halfway, it means forget it. So if you do feel there's flexibility, if you do feel there's a, a light and possibility of changing some amendments or dates, etc., then uh, you know, you're going to, it's, it's going to work out. But the moment you start getting no, 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 and rejection of amendment, of, of amendment to the contract prior to you entering it, I would recommend exit, find another place. And I do want to add what Ludmilla said about uh, uh, revenue share. Actually has started with a major developer and one of them is on the palm and they actually offered uh, revenue share without rent. So you come in, you open up your store, and based on uh, revenue, they get 25%. So that's better for them, and that's better better for the tenant coming in as such a risky uh, a chapter in everyone's business life, and it's working well. How long will that go for? It's something to see. Will it be extended to other malls? Is it better to have someone in there operating and earning a little bit of revenue than being stubborn and having it closed till the market picks up and or, or having all these hoardings uh, rather than having uh, a pop-up? Many countries like Australia and the UK have this uh, a pop-up scheme where you can come in for six months, minimal fit-out, uh, try to see how the business go. If it does well for both, you can stay in there. I think that's a great idea that needs to be basically assessed by developers. I think it's got a lot of complication here because the moment you enter into a place, your license has to have to branch and your DO bill has to be according to your license. So I think if developers can provide these spaces with uh, power, uh, etc. and so forth, then you and I or anyone can go in there with their products, try to sell it. They're not investing into uh, DUI. They're not investing into MEP and fit out. Use the place as it is. Utilize it. Create footfall. Maybe that could be something that the uh, mall industry probably could evolve into. And then to that end, it's let's COVID and the corona pandemic. Uh, has brought a lot of positive changes into our society as well. So it's the silver lining. And that could be the silver lining is that this sort of paradigm shift is uh, this is an opportune time for that paradigm shift. And I think for businesses in general, they perhaps and uh, can embrace more of this flexibility. And this country is moving very fast and continue to move so fast with, I think, uh, with that flexibility in mind as well. And they, that's why they're introducing new laws now uh, offering greater flexibility to businesses and professionals and residents in the UAE. Uh, so I think the time is right. And, and therefore, this is the time to kind of reassess, as Shadi said, okay, how can we do 
things differently? How can we do things better? So don't shy away. Don't be afraid to raise your concerns and uh, to state your position uh, before you get committed. There is certainly some light being shone on entrepreneurial activity. And it does seem as though uh, there's more encouragement there, uh, for sure. Let me just, before we turn to you, Ludmilla, I want for Shadi and I to ask you some specific legal questions uh, about operating businesses, beginning businesses. But one final question really directly at you, uh, Shadi, here is not about the lessons you've learned, which are kind of, in in many ways, almost advice, but I'm looking for a specific piece of advice that maybe you were offered and maybe you can then offer to a new entrepreneur. What would you say to somebody that's listening to this podcast thinking, I'm sold, I can do it, I can handle this, I'm going to go and see the lawyer, I'm going to get Shaddy on board, he's going to consult with me and I'm going to go for it. But what's the one piece of advice you might offer that person? Hashtag slow down. (laughs) I also have advice. Good. Just do what you understand. Okay. I've had so many clients, and this is also kind of the upside of success and successful businesses here in the UAE, is that those who have succeeded in the past have greater appetite for new successes and new business ventures, and they get excited, and they want to invest in new ventures. And as a result, they go into ventures, such as Shadi mentioned, that are technology-based, and yet they have zero technology understanding or knowledge. And so my advice always is do first something that you understand. And if you don't understand it, but you're just excited about the opportunity, make sure that you bring somebody on board that who is your person who has that understanding, that expertise. Because if you're relying on someone to build some great business product for you, that, and that someone is based across the, on the other side of the globe, it's it's not a really sustainable model. And trust me, we've had so many clients who come with those exciting ideas that are technology-based. Let's hire some consultants in San Francisco and the Silicon Valley. They will make me famous and successful. Ain't going to happen. So if you do do something, make sure you understand it. If you don't understand it, make sure you hire someone that is loyal and responsible to you who understands that particular uh, business. I think loyalty, we did not touch on loyalty. Ludmilla just mentioned that loyalty is vital. If you work with loyal suppliers, if you work with loyal staff, if you work with a loyal partner, you have stronger foundation to launch off. And another very important thing, social media plays very much a role to blind people beautiful restaurants open, the images, uh, the social media aspect of it. But no one's talking about if they even break an even. And that's where you're blinded. I I think it's important maybe Ludmilla to set up an Instagram uh, that talks about the challenges of business, like uh, maybe a struggling chef at the end of the day or an owner counting the till and not breaking even at the end of the day. People don't want to see this. It's all, uh, people get excited about the FMB industry for one cause. It's all these wonderful imagery content out there of how wonderful their product is. But no one is talking about the challenges. And we have to accept in society now that social media could play a very integral role as well in business setup in providing you with the right information and content. Do not get fooled and blinded only 
with the quote unquote successful. You're seeing successful images. You are, no one's sharing the PNL with you at the end of the day. <laughs> so trust those who are sharing their PNL and they could be, uh, your source of inspiration if it is successful. Proven, factual, evident based, successful business. Let me just summarize the advice there. So, uh, it's don't run before you can walk and keep it simple, stupid. Is that reasonable? Uh, in terms of uh, starting points of advice, Ludmilla? I mean, sure, yes. Yeah. 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 Bring on the experts. Bring on the experts. You need to bring a lawyer to do a legal draft for you. <laughs> Don't try to download a template and submit it to your partner, and hopefully it would get. Get a law firm to do it for you. Right. So I want to change tack now. Uh, Ludmilla, I'm going to ask Shadi to fire some questions at you. I'm going to fire some questions at you. But I really wanted to ask you some specific legal questions, broad but specific questions, common legal issues that you see in new businesses, new startups here in the UAE. Well, number one is lack of due diligence at the outset. Uh, And as we discussed earlier, it comes from anything from business issues and financial budget to employment to uh, uh, landlords uh, to suppliers uh, to agreements. So just basic due diligence. Uh, and that, as, as simple as it may sound, most disputes and most legal challenges that we see stem from that. If only that due diligence had been done, perhaps um, the business would not have uh, been started to begin with. Uh, because it was doomed to fail, uh, or perhaps it would have been done differently on a different budget or with a different partner or, or in a different location. So basic due diligence is number one, because that does tend to lead to most, uh, most disputes. Uh, that's one. Two is whatever agreements you sign or whoever you sign along the way with uh, as a business. And it's interesting how few businesses think that they still need to have agreements because they think, oh, well, no, no, we already signed. When we set up, we signed that lease agreement, we signed that partnership agreement, we signed those employment agreements, we're done. Well, not so. As a business, you're always entering into business transactions. You're always dealing with new parties. And that's just the reality. Even when you go and buy as a business, you buy a computer. That's a, that's a, that's an agreement. So when you uh, hire a new employee, uh, that's an additional agreement. Uh, when you sign a lease or a, a lease for perhaps a new office or a different office, or when you bring in a new client or a new supplier, uh, these are all different agreements. And so... Don't be um, a dinosaur and rely on the same things that perhaps uh, you think have worked for you in the past, uh, but they could have just worked for you in the past because they haven't been put to test. Uh, or uh, just because you think they have worked to you, for you in the past, it's just reality changes, life changes. I mean, we as a law firm, believe it or not, like perhaps it's more natural, perhaps not, to assume that for a law firm we'd have everything, all our ducks in a row. But we, every day, we're learning something from our own experience, from our client's experience. So our own agreements, employment agreements, uh, uh, engagement agreements, uh, lease agreements, everything as, as a business, we are constantly reevaluating and amending our agreements. So make sure that whatever it is that you sign, but actually is an agreement. That's an, also an important lesson, is that so many 
businesses and business people in, in this country think, oh, that's not an agreement. It says an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, therefore, and it says non-binding, therefore it's non-binding. Or, no, it's this is all only in, hand, in handwritten, so therefore it's not an agreement. Or, it doesn't say that's an agreement, therefore it's not an agreement. That is not so. An agreement is anything where there is basically offer and acceptance and mutuality of obligations and some consideration, which basically is most the things that we do on the day-to-day basis. So everything is an agreement. So make sure that you have a proper agreement. And I'm not talking about even for an agreement like that, you don't need necessarily to go to a lawyer, but just make sure that you understand what you're doing and that the important and most material aspects of your transaction or your contemplated transactions are on that piece of paper. They can be written in layman's terms, but they should be written out. Uh, so that's that's number number two. So uh, one is obviously due diligence. Two, agreements. Three, as Shadi had said earlier, partners. And partners, I don't mean just your partner on the license, but your partners in terms of your suppliers, your clients, your your landlord, your employees, they're all considered partners, uh, your subcontractors. So all the third parties you're dealing with, make sure you choose them well uh, and that uh, you have a clear roadmap of what uh, everyone's uh, responsibilities and expectations are uh, so that uh, there is that roadmap to, to guide all parties, one and two, in the event of default, that you have something to go back to. Uh, so that's three and then four just be real be practical be pragmatic don't get over uh, ahead of yourself uh, and uh, don't let success uh, blind you uh, and just in general and don't let other people's success stories fool you uh, so just be real be uh, be pragmatic and i'd say my personal advice, it is perhaps more business advice than, than legal, is that uh, stay true to what you can do and what you can control. Because the uh, the minute you start flying beyond your reach, it is beyond your reach. And unless you have an absolutely proven and uh, guaranteed, which is almost an oxymoronic uh, way to say it, partner, then just be cautious. Be cautious before you start spreading your wings beyond your reach. Uh, Ludmilla, I want to add uh, regarding the point uh, of agreement. I want to ask you, a lot of businesses in the UAE uh, have the 51-49% standard uh, corporate services kind of sponsorship where the local partner doesn't really get involved, but that's the regulation uh, under the MOA basically. Now, a lot of them, a lot of business, I'm talking a lot, sign a side agreement that is not notarized. Now, is, does that agreement work in a court of law in case there's a separation between the partners or it's 99% thrown out by the judge and they go back to the actual trade license initial agreement and the MOA? Excellent question and all too common. In short, any side agreements that ultimately contradict the law are unenforceable. Okay. So... In this particular case, if you have a side agreement that ultimately changes the ownership of a company uh, away from what is required by law, such as 51% ownership uh, by a local partner, any such agreements will not be enforced. 
so, and that, that, by the way, concept applies to anything in, not just in business, but in law, not just in this country, but everywhere, is that parties cannot, by agreement, overwrite or sidestep the law. So in any case, whatever it is you do, whatever agreements you sign, by whoever, whoever might have drafted them, some highfalutin and expensive firm and consultants, it doesn't matter. At the end, if there is a, if the agreement contradicts the underlying law, it will not be enforced. So if someone comes to you with a side agreement, say, I need to split with my partner, uh, you know, what do you say? Well, it's interesting because we, we have these kinds of questions all the time and perhaps uh, moving forward we'll have much fewer of them. But in the meantime, and up until this point, we've had many of them. The reality is such, and we also hear these kinds of comments, but it's worked for me in the past. Yes, it will always work as long as that partner wants to honor that side agreement. But if they don't want, your only recourse is through the courts. And in the courts, nothing that is that contradicts the law will be enforced. Okay. Um, so if somebody were to come and, and ask me that question, I, my, my answer is always, well, if you trust your partner and you're willing to take a risk, um, that's fine. It's better to have something than nothing. Uh, but at the end, um, just you know what is legally enforceable and everything else is just based on trust, whatever you make of it. Ludmilla, a couple of questions to do with the actual running of uh, a business. Um, first of all, what are some of the most common disputes that arise when you, you're operating and running a business? But as an extension of that, when should a business take legal advice, apart from right at the beginning, as we have already learned? Well, one of the most common disputes we have seen throughout our practice, but certainly throughout COVID, is the supplier is not paying. So business is not getting paid. Right. So business is not getting paid by their suppliers, by their clients, by their patients, what have you. So it's that. Because as a business, you and business to do, do business, which means to make money. But if your clients, if your ultimate uh, a target audience are not paying you, then uh, your business is is uh, flawed, and so and this is and not just flawed, but it suffers immediately and substantially. So what do you do? Uh, and that's the most, I guess, common and real dispute and challenges that we see, and the and uh, in particular in light of COVID. And so in those cases, how can you protect yourself? Because often the excuse of your clients and suppliers and your contractors are, well, we're not getting paid either. So we don't have money to pay you. Well, that's, you know, that's, you can sympathize, but, <laughs> but you have your own um, operational costs and your own salaries to pay for. Uh, so there's se- several ways to perhaps, no, you cannot guarantee against this. But there's ser- several ways to protect yourself. And, uh, you know, one is, um, for example, the jurisdictional clause. You could include a different jurisdictional clause. For example, in the, D- in the DFC courts, there is a small claims tribunal, which allows businesses much more efficiently and, and practically resolve their disputes in English in a very informal, more or less informal manner. Uh, and, and, and which is huge for a lot of small businesses, um, because their alternative is to go to the courts and have everything argued in Arabic. And 
Uh, and the, the timeline in, in local courts and, uh, is, is much longer than, for example, the small claims tribunal in the DIFC. So that, as, uh, as, as perhaps as theoretical as it may sound, it could, in many, many, many businesses cases, help them tremendously. Because if they just, because a lot of times suppliers don't pay, not because they, I mean, yes, their financial situation has weakened, but it's not to say necessarily they don't have money to pay you. They're just choosing not to pay you because perhaps you're a smaller, a smaller, a smaller entity to deal with than some other entities that they deal with, or they just want to keep a little bit of a cushion for themselves. So if you, there's enough leverage or pressure to put on them, they will pay. Uh, they're just choosing not to. So if you had a clause like that, for example, it could help a lot of businesses uh, to, uh, and we've seen this in, in real life, is that all of a sudden businesses come to the table and they pay, or they agree on some sort of a settlement, or some sort of a payment plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if they don't, you have a judgment that's in your favor within potentially two months or sometimes even one month. And so you can actually do something with it. So that's one advice. The other one is just don't extend your line of credit for beyond something that you know is uh, practical. So a lot of businesses, they will extend lines of credit to their suppliers and customers and their clients for 90 days, you know, six months. Well, it's, you know, so perhaps because if you can shorten it, then at least you can you can minimize your exposure. Uh, so that's that's another advice, and then also something uh, to uh, to Shadi's point earlier is um, employees, your staff, uh, choose them well. Uh, don't overhire and don't overpromise, and so conduct your recruiting practices very thoroughly, knowing exactly who you want to bring in and how that person should b- benefit your business, and keep them. Uh, measured against uh, th- that checklist uh, kind of early on and throughout because that way if you have the right people working for you a lot of businesses can make it through some of the most challenging times ever but if uh, equally so if you don't even in the good times a lot of businesses suffer uh, Ludmilla I wanted to ask you uh, a question in two parts uh, what advice would you give businesses who haven't started yet and businesses who have been running for a while and possibly needs uh, to overlook their legal approach or amend things. So what advice would you give uh, these two categories of businesses? Well, for new businesses, this is an interesting question uh, come, that comes at an interesting time because the UAE being the UAE, uh, it's uh, evolving so rapidly. It's actually issued a number of new laws. Uh, ultimately, the objective of, of many of these laws is to introduce more flexibility and uh, to the business culture and the legislative framework of, of this country. So allowing businesses and business people more flexibility uh, and perhaps um, uh, and more uh, reach in terms of what they can and cannot do. Uh, so with regards to any new businesses, let's say uh, pause, take a step back and wait for these laws. In fact, they've just been published today. We've seen the official gazette. But obviously, it will take time to process what these laws are. So I'd say if you're a new business, just wait. Wait to see what these laws are. Wait to understand them and perhaps see what uh, experts say about uh, what they are, and then set up your new business in keeping in mind this new legislative framework. It's it's a great framework, and um, there will be many more cha- changes that will happen on the back of, of these new legislation. Uh, so, therefore, as a business, don't rush. As you said, slow and, um, and be um, informed about what you're about to step in. 
so that's and that's apart from whatever other uh, comments and and lessons that we have discussed in, in, earlier today. Uh, for any existing businesses, uh, similarly, because now this this new legislative framework will allow a lot more flexibility, perhaps that was not afforded to the existing businesses before. So it may be that they will want to restructure. And restructuring, just because there is a new law now, for example, not requiring for businesses to have a local partner, just because there's that new law now, doesn't mean that all of a sudden, as a business, say, well, you've been a silent partner, hasta la vista, I don't want you anymore. No, because you have a company and you have agreements in place which ultimately provide for that uh, structure and that ownership split, and therefore that partner remains. And just because there's a new law, the new law will apply, will apply to new companies and new businesses, but not to the existing ones. So... If you want to restructure, you need to keep that in mind, and therefore you need to make sure that you approach your partner or your partners uh, knowing the, what uh, what perhaps the new legislative framework is and what uh, previous uh, legal uh, requirements were so that you can negotiate your exit uh, with the right information in mind. Time for final thoughts. Shadi, 30 seconds. Final thoughts on this podcast. Really, we've been talking about uh, the questions that arise when you're running a business here in the UAE. You're a new entrepreneur. Um, how would you sum up? To sum it up, basically, uh, as I said before, slow down, be prepared. Uh, the UAE is seeing a lot of exciting uh, uh, evolvement into the uh, rules and regulation on how to launch. What's very important, always expect the unexpected in business. Uh, it's like every marriage that's going to be wonderful and beautiful, but it might end up in a divorce. So how are you prepared for it? What do you have in place to protect you and to protect your the other party as well and your brand? So uh, to, the bottom line is be prepared and due diligence and have the right team supporting you simply by having a passion and idea, not necessarily is going to equal a successful business. Preparation, on the other hand, and determination and being resilient to these challenges uh, will basically help you survive uh, the rough patches. I'm going to allow you the 60 seconds you took there. That's fine. Uh, Ludmilla, exactly the same question to you. Yeah, I'll comment from the legal perspective, and that is just know what the legal framework is and in which you operate. Know what the laws are and rely on the advice of those who experience the particular area that they advise you on. And that is uh, a lot of the times we hear clients talking about, well, this is what the law means. Well, it actually doesn't mean that. and Or they will try to interpret their own law. So my advice is there is, um, in addition to everything else we talked about, well, there is the law that's as written in the books, and then there's the practice as to how that law per- perhaps is being either interpreted or applied in the courts. So have also practical understanding of how things work uh, in legal terms in real life, not just in theory. And that will definitely help a great deal in terms of preparing yourself for whatever eventualities might happen. And one specific example uh, to Shadi's earlier point is about the local partners. So these side agreements, there's so many businesses that have been set up on the representation, the side agreements are, are valid. Well, in practical terms, if, uh, if they, those businesses had received advice from experienced um, professionals, they would have known that they were never valid. Uh, so know the law and know also the practical application of the law. And that's another episode of Logical, some of the many questions hopefully covered that arise when a new entrepreneur runs a business here in the UAE. As ever today, our legal expert, 
uh, on Lord's Schools, Miller Yamalava, managing partner here at Yamalava and Plaska. And uh, as ever, I thank you for your legal expertise. Thank you. Always a pleasure, and thank you, Tim, very much. And our guest today was Shadi Joahan, 27 years in the UAE, a veteran of a number of successful businesses uh, and full of great business advice. Shadi, it's been great to meet you, and thank you. Thank you, Tim and Ludmilla, for having me. Awesome. If you have a legal question you need answered in a future episode of Logical, that's possible. Or if you'd like a consultation with a qualified UE experienced legal professional, you can now WhatsApp us directly 00971525511611 or head to lylawyers.com and click contact.